Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. Well, I hope your day is going well. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. Glad that you're here uh, as we are kicking off a new series, Happily Even After. want to welcome those watching online in our campuses in Renton, Duval, Issaquah, Castle Rock as well. And uh, as we look at this topic, I know we have all sorts of different perspectives. And if you're here and you say, hey, uh, I've been married a long time, uh, this is for you. In fact, I like to ask this, uh, anyone here been married 30 years or more? All right, that's great. Uh, any 40 years? Wow, can we give them a hand? Yeah. The, uh, you know, and some of us are here, we've we just came fresh off a, a relationship breakup or a divorce. And I believe that God will have something for you this message series. Uh, maybe you have lost a, a husband or a wife. Or uh, you're single and you say, hey, you know, uh, there's no one here right now, but I'm, uh, I, I'm moving in that direction. Would hope God would bring someone in my life. Saturday night, I don't know why we get a lot of engaged couples uh, that come. And you will never know more about marriage in your life than when you're engaged and haven't been married today. Uh, and that, now, uh, as kids, we all have perspective on marriage. Uh, this is one of my uh, favorites. Uh, came across a number of years ago on kids' perspective in marriage and relationship. Uh, here's Alan, age 10. He says, find someone who, like the, who likes the same stuff you do. For example, if you like sports, she should like sports too. And keep the chips and dip coming. Now, Alan is 10, but he could be 45. And Kristen is age 10. Uh, nobody really decides when they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides, and you find out who you're stuck with. Uh, now, she's already bitter at age 10. We'll have to pray for her. But not for as much for Pam. Uh, who, when is it okay to kiss someone is the question. Pam said, when they're rich. <laughs> I'm worried about that girl. And then uh, Derek, age eight, uh, how can you tell if two people are married? He said, you see them yelling at the same kids. <laughs> now, uh, I, I don't know about you. When, it, when uh, I got married a number of years ago, in fact, my wife was cleaning out stuff around uh, the house and pictures, and she came across uh, this picture. Uh, this is uh, the picture. That's my wife. This is not Fred Savage's older brother. Uh, this is me way back when, when we went to the J.C. Penney Portrait Studio. Any of you remember that? Yeah, that's in the way back machine there. Uh, so we went there, and, and, and I wish I could tell this guy, hey, man, there are some lessons you need to learn uh, along the way. And really, there have been, and we've learned uh, many the hard way, honestly. Uh, we've had great highs, and we've had on incredible lows uh, in our marriage uh, as well. And uh, over, in fact, I, I posted this. 
Um, the, just a few weeks ago, uh, it was a picture of my wife and I, and uh, we, we were at the Space Needle, and uh, over 25 years uh, later. Now, the funny thing is, is I posted that picture and said, just thankful for 25 years of marriage and ministry. The problem is, many of you thought it was our anniversary, which it wasn't, and so like 42 people commented, happy anniversary. I told my wife, she said, what should you do? She said, I'll just leave it. And then like 30 more comment. So I wanted to just be honest with you right now. It was not our anniversary, and I am not returning the presents. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, as you, as you look at it, uh, we're going to look at some various topics uh, when it comes uh, to marriage. Uh, and really, the, the difficult parts of it today will serve as a bit of uh, introduction and why are we going to do that? I came across an article in the Chicago Sun Tribune a number of years back. Uh, people were asked, actually, uh, first men were asked, uh, if you had to do it over again, would you marry your current wife? 77.1% said yes, which I thought was great. Uh, but then there was an article in a recent women's magazine, and they were asked the same question, and only 50% of women uh, said they would marry the same man again. So we have some work to do. Uh, along the way. Well, as, as we look at this subject, uh, I want you to know that we start from the position of God's grace. That, that God has, even when things are broken, even when maybe it's over and we're beginning again, that God can do a powerful work. Well, I'm going to deep dive in the next few weeks. This will serve a bit as an introduction. And so what I want to do is go to the book of Genesis in the Bible, because it literally means beginnings, the book of uh, beginnings. And in it, it describes the first man and woman that come together. And, and I know as I, as I look at this, some of you say, hey, that's great. I really uh, understand that Bible story. Some of you are more skeptics uh, about it. In fact, one of my friends was saying, well, you know, Almost every ancient culture has a very similar story. And I'm like, yeah, almost every ancient culture that had no telecommunications, no internet, no roads, no ships, no planes, no cars, no bicycles, who where most people would spend their entire life, not go 50 miles from their house, and they were disconnected, didn't know each other's languages, and they come up with this, this theme around the first human beings. Now, either that is an incredible coincidence that all these radically disconnected cultures had the same theme and story, or maybe it's pointing to a more common truth. Well, in Genesis, uh, it talks about how do we begin. It begins with, number one, God. That God's uh, idea is that we would come together in that relationship. In fact, it says this in the creation, so God created mankind in His image, in his image, he created them, male and female, he created them. It was God's uh, grand design. And number two, companionship, uh, that's, it begins with that. It begins with God's idea, and it begins with companionship. We need that. Uh, Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, that's talking about that, that, that human connectivity, that first man and that first woman. See, he wasn't alone. Uh, he had elephants and giraffes. He had, there were rhinos. There were dogs. Uh, there were no cats yet because sin hadn't entered the world. But uh, the, <laughs> I'm, 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. You, uh, cats are wonderful at your house. So, uh, but, but the truth is, is that there is that human interaction and that really, number three, it begins with oneness. Uh, one of the verses that you'll often hear at a wedding ceremony, Genesis 23, 23, it, it says, that the first man says this, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The idea is that there's this connection, and really it begins with, number four, intimacy. See, it begins with God and companionship and oneness, and hopefully it will lead to intimacy. Now, intimacy and sexual intimacy are not the same thing. It only took me 18 years of marriage to figure this one out. But the, uh, as intimacy can lead to the other. It's that, that heart-to-heart connection that we find that is developed. Yes, there's chemistry, but there's also a lot of intentionality uh, around that. Uh, in that, it says in Genesis 1:28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And that, of course, is talking about sexual intimacy. Uh, Genesis, I believe it's 2:24. it's not in your outline, it is in the Bible. And it says, and they were naked and not ashamed. And so there was an intimacy that led to that uh, other intimacy, which... Uh, by the way, is that's in its right context, that's God's idea. God is not ashamed of sex. He invented it. He really did. Yay, God. Let's, let's give, give it up to God for that one. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not like Adam and Eve came out from behind a bush and said, hey, God, you'll never guess what we just invented. You know? Uh, no, it was God's plan from, uh, yeah, you got to erase that mental image. So the, uh, uh, but you, it's God's plan from the beginning. But he, like anything that's part of God's good plan, we, it also begins with number four, five, brokenness. That we can take something beautiful and it can become broken. And my contention is this, is that broken thing can become beautiful again. That we don't have to keep on making the same mistakes or sins. Again, that we, it's not too late to have that newness now. Whenever we decide to step into it. It says in the Bible uh, that we, the mercies of the Lord are new every day. That we can step into that new creation God talks about. Well, the first man and the first woman, they decide to go their own way. God said, hey, you know, this world is all yours, but just don't do this one thing. And they said, God, you don't know what you're talking about. And then it, there's a downward spiral in fact, they not only sin, they start blaming each other. The relationship is infected. And we read this in the Bible. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. Isn't that interesting how we often hide at those moments? God, uh, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I have heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Remember the first part, naked and not ashamed. And it's not because like they did P90X or any of that. It was that there was that it, they were living in God's plan. And now it became something broken and shameful. And so here, here's the reality that we face. And, and usually I would hit a message like this in a marriage or relationship series at the very end. But I just want to acknowledge it. 
that no one, uh, is, is anyone here perfect? No, just me and two other people. No, the, uh, no, no, we're not. We're not. It begins with brokenness. But it doesn't need to stay in brokenness. You know, uh, people don't, ha- you don't, if you're married, you don't have marriage problems. You have people problems that became married. And it, because we all, we have our selfishness. Uh, a friend of mine said this, is it says in the Bible, the two become one. The struggle is when they're trying to decide which one they're going to become. <laughs> and uh, that, isn't that true? Uh, in fact, you might write this uh, in, in the side, um, it, just down. It's not in your outline. There are two things that really cause marriage problems, men and women. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, it really, yeah, we bring it with us to the table. Well, how can we live beyond the brokenness that is there, and how can we actually let God begin to heal that? I've experienced it in my own life, my own marriage. I've seen it in other people's as well, where those most broken parts, that if we will submit them to God, that He can bring healing again. Well, number one, it begins with honesty. That we have to be honest uh, with ourselves and with our spouse that, that we're honest about uh, how we're doing, maybe not only the struggles we're having, but maybe what we bring to the table, maybe the biases that we bring to the table, maybe from a failed relationship, maybe from our upbringing uh, as well. It says this, in, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is the Christ. And let's go back to that first part. It says, instead, speaking the truth in what? Love. Yeah, that's right. You didn't believe that. Let's try that one more time. Speaking the truth in what? Love. Yeah. This is so important. I'm not saying be be dishonest. But I am saying loving. And in fact, if you read this, you could understand that if you don't speak the truth in love, that you are actually sinning against the other person. And I, I've, well, I just got to tell them. I just got to, no, you can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shut your mouth. Do you know that? <laughs> and you're saying, Ben, that isn't very nice. Well, it's biblical. If you can't speak the truth in love, then now is not the time to do it. The Bible says you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Well, they did all sorts of horrible things. Of course, I get it, but the, there's still a command. And oftentimes, here's what will happen, is we w- will say, okay, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to do these other things, and I'm not going to, when I fail, because we all fail, I'm not going to repent. I'm going to just keep on doing this, and then it falls apart, and then what do we do? We blame God. We blame God because we didn't do what he asked us to do, how he said it would work. We did it in a way that he said wouldn't work, and somehow it becomes his fault. Instead of just being honest and say, God, you know, it was, it, this is a me problem. And I'm asking that you would work in my life, that, that I would do the right things in the right way. You know, a, a great... Uh, phrase in any relationship is maybe when you're talking with your your spouse or maybe you're engaged and you just say you know what I could be wrong for some of you that's very hard you've never admitted that 
So let me help you out a little bit. Why don't you just, just try repeat after me. I could be wrong. Let's try it. I could be wrong. This friend, some of you need to say it again. I could be wrong. You know what? That is such a, a, great, a great thing to say to someone. Hey, you know what? I could be wrong. You know what that's called? That's called humility. Number two, beyond brokenness is with encouragement. First uh, Corinthians 8.1, it says, love builds up. There's enough uh, discouraging things in the world, aren't there? You don't need to do that. You don't need to uh, discourage, especially in a marriage relationship, your spouse. Your primary job is to encourage, to build them up. That's after services, like, you know, after a weekend doing all these services, and we're doing, by the way, membership class, Discover Timberlake, after this service. If you haven't signed up, we've already got childcare food. You come to that thing. We want to see you connected uh, with other people at the church. After that, do you know what I'm going to do? Many of you, of you think, well, Pastor Ben, I'm sure you're going to read the Bible the rest of the evening and pray. No, I'm going to watch an action-adventure movie, and some people will die. <laughs> and and uh, it's sort of my way to decompress. But I always have a, a question I ask my wife. I said, hey, how do, you think, how do you think things went today? And I don't even care if she lies to me. But I, what she says is so powerful in my life. Because there will be so many people who are discouraging. No matter how well you do in life, how well you do with God, we need people who will encourage and build us up and that's primarily in the marriage relationship. And I know it's hard when someone's not doing uh, what you think they should do. And, and it may be a stretch. You may have to say to your spouse, honey, you are so creative in how you balance that checkbook. That's great creativity, you know. Uh, it, you just find ways to encourage. I've never had a couple come to me and say, you know what, we're getting divorced. He is way too encouraging. I've never had a man say, you know, I feel very unsatisfied in my marriage because she's just very encouraging all the time, and I'm up to here with it. If you encourage, you're 89.5% of the way there. Because that'll build trust. It'll build hope. It'll build the very things that God wants. And you know what happens? is we get stubborn. And I won't, do not look to the right or the left, especially if you're with your boyfriend, uh, girlfriend, fiance, or spouse. But some of us are married to stubborn people. And I, I early on marriage, uh, I came with my own baggage into uh, the marriage relationship. Uh, I, I was pastoring a church in Kingman, Arizona, uh, and I was laying on the couch on a Saturday uh, watching, a, I believe, a college football game, and I was laying down and I was eating some beef jerky, which my wife informed me. She said, when you're eating, you should sit up. If you eat beef jerky laying down, you're going to choke on it. And I'm like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I didn't say I appreciate it because I didn't appreciate her bothering me like that. Well, she went into the other room and hopefully to repent for the evil she had done at that point. Uh, and as I was watching the game, lo and behold, I began to choke on that beef jerky. 
and not choked like, uh, uh, it's stuck in my throat, like, uh, uh, I can't breathe, I see the heavens opening up, oh, Jesus, there you are, the, uh, it's that kind. And so I, I was choking, and I tried to do everything uh, I, I could to get it out, and I literally couldn't even speak, I was choking. And so then I had the decision, do I admit she was right, <laughs> or do I die? And there was a little bit of debate for a few seconds over that. And so I finally, I walk into the kitchen, uh, and, and I, I'm like, ah! And she's like, I'm on the phone, and she's talking. And so I go, literally, this is a true story, and like there's a pointy part of the counter, and I run up and try to give myself the Heimlich maneuver. And uh, so uh, it didn't work. She says, she says to her friend, okay, she puts the phone down, comes over, gives me the Heimlich, it comes out. She says, you owe me for the rest of your life, and then goes and picks up the conversation. And, and, uh, and I tell that story because it's a very, funny, very funny story. But, you know, and it's sort of silly. You know what? She's never told that story. She's never said anything like that. There's so many things that were, honestly, I was wrong, and she could embarrass me, make me look bad. But she's chosen to say those things that are encouraging. You have a choice every day, every conversation. What is it, seven to one, that you have to say seven encouraging things to make up for one discouraging thing? You say, that sounds like a lot of work. It is. But that's what makes a great relationship, a great marriage. And number three, it takes effort. It takes effort for a great uh, relationship. It says this in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And when I've read that scripture, and, and after I became a Christian, I became very familiar with especially this book of the Bible. I preached a whole series on it last year. And I've always focused on unity of the Spirit through bond of peace, but every effort... You know, I, I've had people, in fact, I have friends right now who are going through difficult situations where the, you know, and there, whenever there's a breakup, it's always a little bit of each person's fault, but really in some situations where it's almost, you know, like mostly the other person's fault. And the Bible still says, make every effort. Now, I know some of you, you're working on a marriage, and it seems hopeless. And the truth is, even, even if it doesn't reconcile, and I pray it will, that you will never say, I, I, I wish I wouldn't have made every effort. But I've heard people say again and again, I wish I would have tried a little bit longer. Now, that's the difference between dating and marriage. Sometimes in a dating relationship, you're with someone and you say, hey, this is not working. And you don't have to make every effort then. Uh, sometimes you'll want to. Sometimes you can just say, hey, this isn't working out. And say it in a loving way and move on to the next, next, what God has next for you. But once you've made that commitment, that every effort really needs to be at the fiber of what we do. So, so what does every effort look like? Every effort looks like saying, I come to God every morning and say, God, will you do, do a renewing work in me so I can be the kind of person who's lovable and loving? If we look in the mirror, well, we'll realize our own faults. 
Every effort looks like, hey, uh, maybe going seeing a marriage counselor. I'm big into that. Uh, by the way, that will not be enough. Going to see a counselor three times a week will not be enough. You need more than that. That's a component in that. In fact, I feel like in our society, and this is just sort of me on my soapbox because I have the mic, that, uh, yeah, I wish I had one to stand on right now, is that we, the funny thing is, people are miserable in relationships, worse than ever. You look at our, we have more, look at our society with the, all the wealth and everything in the world. We could feed everyone many times over. There, there's no problem in the world except a sin problem. The, the people who foolishly say things will just get better on our own don't have a good grip on reality. Because we get to this, well, I'm going to just do what's good for me. And we protect ourselves so much that we end up miserable. Because remember, we don't live God's way, where he laid down his life, where he deferred. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who was in the right, who was in the wrong? Jesus was in the right, and he made the first move. Every effort means you make the first move, and the second, and the third, and the fourth. Now, some of you are saying, okay, four times, that's it. You're sinners. You know, <laughs> the truth is, is that we need to keep on trying. And, and not every relationship will make it. My, my, I'm always root for that, no matter what the problem. And I'm not saying let someone abuse you. I'm certainly not saying that. But I'm saying, what if we did it more God's way, where we were saying, I'm going to make every effort that God would take the brokenness, the brokenness of, of our relationship, of my decisions, of the circumstances, and make it whole again. You have set the stage for a miracle. How many of you, you say, I need a miracle. Would you set the stage for a miracle in your marriage? Every effort might look like, hey, for this, maybe, maybe you're not like a, a come-to-church-every-week person. Say, no, for this series, it's going to be a priority. I'm going to actually be here every week. That's, that's, that's part of every effort. Or I'm going to get in one of these growth groups with another couple, and we're going to find out. Because, as I said before, God will grow you. You'll see examples of how people navigate their relationships. You'll study material. Uh, you'll see, you know, there's going to be some couple in your couple's group who's sort of the cautionary tale couple. And you'll say, hey, we're not that bad. If you've never been in a group like that, then you are the couple. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> so the truth, I am having a little bit of fun. But every effort says, you know what, I'm going to really do my best. And I'm going to just see if God would do a work. Because how many of you would rather be restored than be right? And oftentimes it is an either-or choice. And that's number four, grace. It, it, so grace is that factor that changes everything. It says in Colossians 3.13, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It's where we understand that it begins with God's grace, that Jesus not only set an example, he made a way. That when we're at our worst, 
he gives his best. See, grace is this. It's not the good we deserve. It's the good we don't deserve. And can I tell you that there are very few relationships that can't be restored when we show up that way. When we say, God, I'm going to be a person of grace because you gave your grace. You know, I've seen it with couples who've gone through all sorts of struggles in their relationship in their life. My favorite story, though, one I've shared many times is that of my own mom. My mom and dad, uh, they believed in marriage. My dad was married four times and my mom eight times. Uh, There are a lot of people who they weren't married to who are part of the picture as well. And there were reasons behind it. And you know what? There's always a reason behind our brokenness. And my mom became a follower of Christ in her 50s. And uh, as she became a follower of Christ, her, her, her first husband came back and after over 30 years came into her life. And he said, hey, I just want to get back in touch with you because I wanted to for, ask for your forgiveness. Because I, I sinned against you and whatever you did wrong against me, I forgive you. Because I've said yes to Jesus Christ. And so I'm go- I want to be in right relationship. And my mom said, uh, well, you know, if anything happened along the way, I became a Christian too. And so, of course, I forgive you and I ask for your forgiveness. And a lot of years and a lot of brokenness came to the table. And my mom's first husband was also her eighth and last husband. As they came together in a way that they couldn't before, because they both had experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. And until the day that my stepdad, he passed away, they, were, they had this marriage relationship together that was founded on something new and different. And maybe today is your day to do that. Say, let's, let's start again. Let's begin again. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.